This is the Stop the Bleed podcast, where host Pat and Kelly will foster powerful discussion around the importance of Stop the Bleed. From awareness and training to education and life-changing actions, you'll hear from survivors, first responders, neighbors, doctors, and people you pass on the street every day. Happy Wednesday, everyone. It's Pat and Kelly back for another episode of the Stop the Bleed podcast. Hey, everyone. I hope it's a good day for you, Kelly, and everybody who's listening. Uh, Kelly, do you want to share with everybody what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, of course, Pat. It's a a very important topic coupled with our guest today to really lead us into a great discussion around Stop the Bleed training. You know, as we always remind folks, a bleeding injury can happen anywhere at any time. And Stop the Bleed training allows anyone to go from a witness to immediate responder. Jackson Health System in Miami-Dade County is actually the largest health system in the country, according to number of beds. In August of 22, the Rider Trauma Center Surgeons and Nurses at Jackson Memorial and Jackson South conducted a Stop the Bleed training for their public safety officers and ID associates. And so by that, you know, I'm talking about lobby greeters as well. And their goal here was to improve outcomes for patients with severe bleeding who self-transported to the hospital. Wow. You know, I have to say, as anybody can imagine, with the sheer size of the Jackson system, uh, it had to have been quite an undertaking. My understanding is that uh, uh, Jackson had a lot of internal support from uh, teams across their system, in addition to community members. And uh, over the course of just five days, they trained almost 250 security specialists. You know, they coordinated this training across four different public safety net hospitals. I spoke with uh, Luis DeRosa Jr. there. He is the trauma and burns coordinator at the trauma resuscitation unit. And he couldn't be with us today, but, you know, he really told me that interdepartmental collaboration was the key. Yeah, I I have to imagine that. You know, the whole thing is uh, quite an undertaking, quite a feat. And I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, the Jackson system for taking on this uh, kind of challenge to train so many uh, so thoroughly and also do it in a very short period of time. Congratulations to Jackson and um, kudos to uh, all 250 specialists who uh, got the training, and I'm sure many of whom are able to share that uh, learning with uh, their own communities, maybe their families at home, uh, maybe uh, community organizations that they belong to. What we see time and time again is that once people get exposed to Stop the Bleed, it really makes sense to them. Uh, They feel empowered to know what to do, and they also feel empowered to start talking about it with people who might not be exposed to the campaign. 100%. They feel like they want to share with their community, hey, you should go get trained. Well, exactly. And, you know, I just want to take a quick minute and talk about training programs. We see large organizations like Jackson who undertake big projects to train lots of people. We see companies, sometimes very large companies, uh, sometimes very, very small companies. Uh, We just, uh, two companies that come to mind recently that uh, signed on to develop Stop the Bleed programs are Verizon which I'm sure many listeners are familiar with, and uh, the financial services company, uh, Charles Schwab. Uh, But you don't have to be a big organization to implement a Stop the Bleed program. 
Uh, we see on the other end of the scale, uh, small organizations. Uh, they might be small nonprofit organizations uh, looking to connect with their community. Uh, it might be a small company. Uh, we see lots of schools, big and small, that are working to implement uh, programs. And for any of our listeners that are wondering, you know, how do I do that with my organization? You can go to uh, stopthebleedcoalition.org. And what you'll find there is uh, resources and tools that will help uh, really any organization either get going with a Stop the Bleed program, or if they have an existing one, probably find some ways to enhance it. Yeah, I think, and I think it's also a great reminder, Pat, for folks listening in too, who may not yet be trained. It starts with one class. And what's pretty cool is that our guest today is one of the individuals, was a public safety officer who took part in the Stop the Bleed training at Jackson. And so I'm going to bring him in right now and introduce you all to Enrique Lascende. Enrique, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us where you're joining from? Thank you for having me here. Yes, I'm here at Miami, Florida right now at Jackson Hospital. Well, listen, welcome. It's uh, really nice to meet you and to have you on the show. You know, Kelly and I were just chatting about uh, the training that uh, took place uh, you know, a year ago, August. I'm curious, before Jackson organized this, what was your familiarity about Stop the Bleed, uh, if, if anything, or was that program really your introduction to what Stop the Bleed is all about? I really didn't hear about Stop the Bleed before attending the program, no. You know, it's funny, uh, what we there's millions of people who've been trained at this point uh, over the course of the campaigns, uh, five or six years or three or four years minus the pandemic years. A big job that the campaign has is still just letting people know that it exists because we know that uh, once people find out, they usually feel like it makes sense for them to want to participate. Before we ask you to dive into your experience and some, you know, in an incident that did occur, I'd love to kind of set the scene for our listeners. And so I think for a better understanding of that, I'd love to for you to share, you know, as a public safety officer, what what was your day to day like? I'm sure every day is unique, but could you walk us through your role, you know, where you're posted up, who you interact with? What is that daily routine at Jackson? Sure. So the first thing that happens is we go to a briefing and that's where we get our assigned post. And from there, we go to our assigned post. Now, we could be at the uh, emergency room metal detector, or we could be a zone officer, or we could be in another area of the hospital like trauma, right, or trauma center for the metal detector there. Uh, at the date of the incident, I was actually assigned to the emergency room metal detector. And I guess, Enrique, from what I understand, um, not so long after you were trained, uh, you're, you're on duty and something happens. Can you take us through that day and and as much as you can, sort of the moment of moment of you noticed something and then you acted? Okay. So a young lady was coming into the emergency room and she was just screaming, 911, 911, help, help. I need a wheelchair. And then Murphy's Law kicks in. Everything that's supposed to go wrong will go wrong. So be, me being assigned at the metal detector, I alert our medical response team, but they're busy. It's an emergency room. And then I'm trying to get a wheelchair, but there's no wheelchair because multiple emergencies were happening at the same time. Mm. So I had to take action and try to figure out what's going on. I went outside and I noticed that there was a gray vehicle out there and she's saying, my friend is hurt. My friend is hurt. And when I opened the car door, 
there's a young lady in the back seat and she's bleeding out of her left ankle mm. and she's bleeding a lot. So immediately I run back inside to the emergency metal detector area where we do have a stop the bleed pelican box where I'm able to retrieve a tourniquet simultaneously telling my other coworker, I need a wheelchair as soon as possible. So as I get out there to the vehicle, I apply the tourniquet. There's my coworker with the wheelchair. More coworkers show up because the radio, I was able to get on the radio and transmit the emergency. And we're running with the young lady into the emergency room. Now, yes, the emergency room is packed again. And one of the nurse looks in our direction and says, run, she needs to go to trauma. So we did exactly what she said. We ran all the way to trauma. We ran fast, but that felt like the longest run of my life. Mm. But we finally got there. And as soon as we opened the trauma doors, there's Lewis right there. We told him exactly what happened. And obviously our awesome trauma team took over. That's pretty incredible. Going back to your first comment, when Pat asked what your familiarity with Stop the Bleed was, you didn't have any. You had this training. Approximately how long between the training and this incident? Maybe months. And the funny part is that as I'm actually applying the tourniquet, I'm listening to Lewis's voice telling me everything that I need to do. Wow. You really retained that information. I guess as you're telling this story, my head is going, and, I, and I've been stopped the bleed train. I've been, did you first get gauze and apply pressure? Did you know right away, oh, I need a tourniquet? Did you have time to think about it when you were running back to grab the stop the bleed kit? I'm just curious. So when I looked at her left ankle and the uh, blood was coming out as if it was in the rhythm of a heartbeat, I knew that was an arterial bleed. So it's time to grab tourniquet, forget gauze. Yeah, I'm still absorbing it all too. So you'll forgive my uh, little little bit of pause. Um, tell us about her. Was she in shock? Did, did she understand the severity of what she was contending with? She understood the severity of what she was contending with because she just was desperate to get inside the hospital. And we were explaining to her that we were going to get her in there as soon as possible. As soon as I apply the tourniquet, we're going to get you right in because we need to stop that from bleeding. Enrique, I'm wondering, do you know what it was that caused the traumatic bleeding she was experiencing? So as we're running in, obviously, she's communicating to us that she had a scooter accident. She was avoiding a child that was on a skateboard. And when she did the avoidance, her foot must have gotten caught underneath the uh, scooter's uh, footboard. And that caused it to fracture and have a compound fracture. That is probably... I'm not even sure that would have been in my top 100 guesses, Enrique, if we had to go into guesswork. You know, it's just the fact that there are a lot of people who are drawn to what Stop the Bleed is for fear of gun violence. And no doubt there are people who uh, who wind up getting shot, who are uh, experiencing traumatic bleeding and need this kind of help. But of the 40,000 people that die in the U.S. each year from blood loss, the vast, vast majority of those are from other reasons. Uh, it can be car accidents, which is one of the most common reasons. But sort of everyday things that rarely occur, but across a big population happen enough so that you get to these really big numbers of people who pass away each year. This is a, I don't know how many people avoid 
someone on a scooter and wind up traumatically bleeding in the country every year. It seems like kind of an oddball thing. We've had, we know of people who were hiking in the woods and a tree branch fell and it hit, uh, it broke their arm and that compound fracture uh, pierced uh, an artery in their arm. There's just all these different kinds of things. It's, it's pretty crazy that uh, in your, the, the save that you've participated in comes from one of those oddball things. Kelly, any other oddball things come to mind as we're talking about this? No, it just, it, I was making all those funny expressions when you were telling us that it was a scooter accident, because I don't remember which podcast we talked about it, but someone had said those scooters are so dangerous and I worry about all the accidents and something bad things are going to continue to happen with those scooters. And I, it, we talked about scooter accidents. Scooters. Yeah. yeah. With, with, I think wow. it was a doctor that we had on, on the podcast cause they've seen them. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, well, Enrique, now that you've got uh, one save under your belt, <laughs> not that we'd be looking for you to uh, get another one under your belt, but I'm just wondering, you know, you get trained, you you have the experience where the training kicks in and it, and it saves somebody's life. Uh, what have you personally drawn from that in terms of, you know, how you think about the training and, and its effect and your perspective on on what we're doing with Stop the Bleed. It's an extremely important initiative. What I did after that incident was I actually got on Amazon and I purchased my own uh, tourniquets so that if anything were to happen to me, my family, I had something that I can use to stop the bleed. It's part of my daily carry now. I have it in my vehicle. I have it in my wife's vehicle. So there's always something there for me to be able to use in case something bad happens to me and or any bystander that I may see a car crash and there may be a need to uh, apply a tourniquet to stop that arterial bleed. Are you aware of other resources in the community uh, that, that you live in or work in that are available to members of the public? I'm just so for instance, I'm wondering if your wife has uh, been able to be trained or if she was motivated to get trained because of your experience or other people that you know. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So in my community, I'm a U.S. Army veteran. I served back in 1989. And in that time, we had to have our own makeshift tourniquets. But now, obviously, us veterans, we're starting to purchase these tourniquets that are provided by Stop the Bleed. So that we have something that's a little quicker. And I taught my wife how to apply tourniquets on the legs and arms in case a situation arises that she needs to use it. Oh, that's great. Well, as a uh, first of all, thank you for your service. Secondly, as a as a fellow Army veteran from the 1980s, I, I know all about makeshift tourniquets and how much <laughs> things how much things have changed uh, since then for people who are on active duty now. Uh, but that's a great uh, gift to give to your wife that she now knows what what to do. Well, Pat, thank you for your service and hua. Hua. <laughs> Kelly, what else should we cover with uh, Enrique? I feel like we have gone over a lot of ground and some of it just really just so interesting. Yeah, I just think that I don't know if Lewis has told you, but I know from the communication that I've had with him, Enrique, that he really shared his passion for the training, everything that they were able to do. But he himself, as a 10-year veteran working in trauma and burn specialty, he did share that it was the highlight of his career 
being able to know that putting on this training would put the knowledge to good use, but he didn't think he'd be there to witness it. And just like you said, when you were able to do your probably like what felt like thousand mile run, um, you, he was there, the fact that he was working that day and he saw it firsthand and, um, was in the thick of it with you. He said it was the highlight of his career. So I just wanted to make sure you also knew that too. Oh no, it was a, incredible experience for me especially i was thanking god so much that it was him that was right there yeah amen to that enrique you know before we uh ask you to depart the uh the, the podcast for today we've got a couple of uh questions we'd like to ask you we we call them hot seat questions and i'm going to kick it off just to ask you to uh name a, a famous person that you would like to see become stoppably trained um i would say salma hayek Oh, wow. <laughs> why Why do you say Selma? No one's ever said, so I'm just curious. To get some of the celebrities involved because individuals pay attention to celebrities. So I picked one of the uh, celebrities that was very famous during my era, era of uh, movie scene. Okay, next question, Enrique. In one word, what does Stop the Bleed mean to you? Life. Mm. I'm not sure we've had anybody say that before, Kelly, have we? No, I was kind of actually wondering that when he said it. I was like, great answer. But has anyone said that? I'm not recalling I'll that. I'll have to go back and look. Yeah, we, we we keep tabs on that, Enrique. And, you know, we've had a lot of uh, uh, episodes uh, since we started the podcast. And it's always been pretty interesting just how many different single words people attach to what Stop the Bleed means to them. I feel like the next one is sort of, um, I'm not sure, it's its sort of a setup because <laughs> we always ask guests to think of an oddball way that someone can experience life-threatening bleeding. I don't know if you can think of an oddball way, Enrique, <laughs> but if you can, uh, uh, I won't ask you to think of something else from what you've already mentioned, but uh, uh, if you if you have another one, because we've already kind of stolen the show with what happened with your save, let us know. That one actually was oddball because after that one, I would I just received a typical one with a young man coming in from a motor vehicle accident. And obviously he was having a bleed on his right arm. And that's the second tourniquet that I've applied while I was here at Jackson. Wow. So you had another save. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now I'm wondering like what to. else Enrique is holding back from us. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, just two. Just two. <laughs> just two. You were at the right place and trained at the right time. Yeah, he just walked in. I was, he's like, dude, I'm bleeding. I'm like, okay, no problem. I got something for that. I just put it on. I said, okay, go back to the ED right now. Wow. Okay, well, I will tell you this, Enrique. We have interviewed nobody since we started the podcast that has two saves. So wow. kudos. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I'm again, speechless. So last question is, uh, we just want to ask you right now to nominate someone to get Stop the Bleed trained. Who do you nominate and why? Okay. So I'm going to nominate a coworker by the name of Jose Vargas. Uh, the reason why I want to nominate him is because he works at corrections and he's a nurse inside corrections. And for now, the only ones that have tourniquets are the correctional officers but I would also like to see the nurses with uh, tourniquets because as one knows, there's pretty much a lot of stabbings inside a correctional facility. Mm. Great point and great nomination, Enrique. 
I have to say, we've had the opportunity to speak with so many interesting people representing various facets of what the campaign is all about. Meeting you and hearing uh, what you've done has just been incredible. Knowing that it comes from a system-wide effort uh, at Jackson is just sort of a, a cherry on top, if you will. I want to thank you for joining us today, Enrique. It's been a real pleasure to get to know you some and to hear uh, what you've done. And again, kudos for kudos for the great work. I want to I want to mimic that. I want to also, of course, I want to thank you, Enrique. I want to also take the time to thank the educators and trainers out there who do instruct Stop the Bleed classes because. You should know, and Enrique here is living proof, that your work is beyond meaningful and continues to save lives. And so, Enrique, thank you for being willing to join us on air and share your story because it's a really great one, and it was great to have you on. Thank you guys for having me, and I'm really glad I was here to uh, share my experience. And please keep doing what you're doing because we need more of it in our society. And you stay nearby those tourniquets. Oh, yes. <laughs> and before we close up this part, I just I do want to give a shout out to Luis. He is really the person that not only led the training program, which led to the knowledge that Enrique had, which led to the saves that we were talking about today. But he was the one that reached out to us to say, we have something that we think a lot of people need to hear about. So uh, Luis, wherever you are, thank you so much. And we hope that uh, you're able to stay connected to the campaign and, and continue to uh, do the good work out there that you've been, been doing. So thanks, Enrique. Have a great day. You too. Have a good one. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye now. That was just such a fun interview to hear all those surprises. I had so many facial emotions happening, uh, Pat, during this. But let's talk about today's spotlight before we sign off. Who are we shining the light on? So we're going to shine the light on the National Center for Disaster Medicine and Public Health. Uh, they're an organization that has been working and partnering with the Stop the Bleed Coalition on a lot of different things, including the development of the Essentials of Stop the Bleed course that uh, I mentioned earlier is the second uh, Stop the Bleed course that has gotten a DOD approval. But more recently, and really very excitedly, uh, they have been working on translating that course into other languages. And so very soon, uh, versions of the course uh, in Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, and Greek will be released. And probably before that, uh, due to what's ha been happening in the Middle East lately, there'll be versions in Hebrew and Arabic released. And those will all be available on the Stop the Bleed Coalition website. That's stopthebleedcoalition.org. And we're just thrilled that they have the ability and, and the substantial resources to make correct translations of the course uh, into these other languages. You know, it's great that there are more and more people who are getting trained, but it's really important that when they take the time to go get trained, they're being trained with the correct information. The Department of Defense pays careful attention to course materials because it doesn't do any good to teach somebody the wrong things to do. And uh, the Stop the Bleed courses that have been approved by the DOD teach people the, the correct things to do. So uh, a big thank you and shout out to the National Center. That's their short name because their full name is a, a quite a mouthful. But without their support, uh, we wouldn't be seeing these kinds of uh, translated materials available. 
That's incredible. It's really going to add to the to the Stop the Bleed library that's available. And Pat, just to be clear, are these courses going to be in person or is this part of the new online curriculum in terms of the different languages that will be available? Yeah, that's a great question, Kelly. So the the course materials that are developed are developed uh, in two uh, file versions uh, as PowerPoints and as uh, uh, PDF files. And in either case, those courses have a number of slides that are, are taught from, but many of those slides have video content. And so that makes them suitable to watch online if you're not able to get to a location for a full class. Now, what we advocate for is if you are watching something online, you still need to go to some in-person training because ultimately it's that tactile experience of knowing how to place a tourniquet, how to pack a wound with some supervision by somebody who knows how to do that properly that, that makes you be in a position where you've gotten complete training. Well, folks, it's time for me to remind you to subscribe. Subscribe to the Stop the Bleed podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you have an idea for a future podcast, please let us know. You can email us at the team at stopthebleedproject.org or drop us a note on social media. And last, please take a moment and share this podcast with someone you know, because together we can save more lives. To learn more about the Stop the Bleed campaign, Stop the Bleed grants and scholarships, and how you or your organization can get involved, visit StopTheBleedProject.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at StopTheBleed for campaign updates.